Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist and self-growth coach for women in helping professions. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology and self-growth. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. So let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. So today I am going to be talking about money and mental health care, um, specifically therapy. This episode was inspired by a few things that have occurred over the past couple months, as well as experiences I have had um, in my personal life, professional life, in the past and currently. Um, One of the biggest things that inspired this episode was the recognition that consumers of mental health care or the mental health system do not fully understand how particularly insurance works with mental health or why some providers do not take insurance or other things related to money such as no-show fees. So I want to be clear that I'm not blaming anyone for not understanding. Despite being a psychologist, I did not fully understand until I started taking insurance myself, um, which I will talk about some of my own experiences, and then talking to other um, mental health providers who are in settings like private practice, for example. So my hope for this episode is it is for it to be educational and for people to gain some new knowledge. Um, My intent is to be as factual and unbiased as possible because I am speaking from the perspective of a psychologist and a client, um, both from my experiences and the experiences of colleagues who are in different positions than me. But I also understand that talking about money and mental health care can be a controversial topic. So I just please invite you to go into this episode with an openness and willingness to learn um, and Obviously, we're coming in with our own biases, so if you're listening to this as a mental health professional, you'll have your own biases. If you're listening to this as a mental health consumer, you'll have your own biases, but I'm hoping that I present both sides of things to help a better understanding. I'm also going to lead in with this, that our mental health care system has to change. Um, I'm not going to go into my opinions on how. Uh, One, because that could easily get political, and this is not a political podcast. And two, that could be a whole another episode. But know that I, as our other mental health providers, very, very aware that our mental health care system is broken, whether it's insurance-wise, accessibility-wise, etc., and a lot needs to change. So, what inspired this episode? Uh, If I'm being 100% honest, it was actually TikTok, um, because a couple months ago, Um, I made a video saying that insurance is the thing therapists hate most. So generally, I got positive feedback um, from both mental health providers, but also consumers of mental health. But I also got some comments that were really negative. um, Things like, yeah, I hate when poor people have access to mental health care, or therapists who don't take insurance are greedy. Um, And I'm human, just like everybody else, and we tend to focus on the negative more than the positive. Um, but then a few weeks ago, my friend Stephanie, who I interviewed on my podcast, so if you haven't listened to episode 22 with Stephanie, give it a listen, um, she posted something about not taking insurance because she 
runs her own private practice and she got a lot of hate saying she only caters to rich people it's all about the money etc so I really wanted to make this episode to kind of debunk some of those biases or beliefs but also provide a really comprehensive perspective as much as I can um I also want to make it clear and I'm going to talk about this a little later that therapists don't actually make quote-unquote a lot of money relative to other fields with similar levels of education um I always joke that I am a doctor but not the kind that makes money so additionally if mental health providers go into the field for money they are going to be gravely disappointed so I want to debunk that myth right now that therapists are only in it for the money but like I said I will touch on that later in this episode um this episode was also inspired by my own experiences with insurance and um accessibility on the side of the provider as well as the client um which I'll be talking about throughout but I do want to say if you're listening as a consumer of mental health care and not as a professional and have ever been annoyed or frustrated when trying to find a therapist and only finding ones that have um, self-pay or take self-pay, know that you're not alone. Um, I used to be you even having years of education in the mental health field. I never understood why people in private practice didn't take insurance. I would get annoyed or frustrated when I was looking for a therapist for myself or um, couples therapists for me and my husband, but then I started working with insurance and I understood why. So I will talk about that more as well. Um, so how I've broken down this episode is by talking about the benefits and downsides of both using your insurance for mental health care, both for providers and consumers. Because like I said at the beginning, I'm trying to make this as unbiased as possible. I want to make it clear that there are probably many things that I am missing as well when I'm talking about this, um, but these are, this is a general overview of the pros and cons. And before I get into it, I also want to make it clear that ultimately you have to decide what is best for you based on your current circumstances and our current healthcare system. Like I said at the beginning, this is meant to be informative and hopefully can help make the right to help you make the right decision for you with regard to mental health care in the realm of therapy I'm not getting into psychiatry on all of that um, but obviously there's more to mental health care than just therapy so first we're going to talk about the benefits of insurance okay so for the client you're paying a copay instead of out of pocket so this is ultimately resulting in a cheaper payment for you so if your copay is 20 bucks you are paying 20 bucks to go see a therapist which is ultimately a lot cheaper than paying out of pocket if say a therapist fee is 120 bucks additionally if you have good insurance and i specifically put good in there um mental health care is covered and you don't have to worry about the length of time you were in therapy or um the type of therapy if you want to do individual uh family therapy etc so if you have good insurance mental health care is covered um Additionally, having a diagnosis, which I will get into um, here in a couple minutes, can help you get higher levels of care and necessary treatment if needed. Um, so there are benefits of using your insurance for the client. Um, one is the biggest one is probably it is a lot cheaper for the client. Um, obviously, you are paying into your insurance, but on a weekly or biweekly basis, however often you're going to therapist, um, it is cheaper. And like I said, if you have good insurance, it's covered i personally prefer to use insurance for my mental health care rather than paying out of pocket um, and that is just a personal preference um, but there are definitely benefits 
So benefits of using insurance for the provider. So in general, and these are generalized statements, you tend to be able to see a wider range and diversity of clients because you see people from all demographics, SES, etc. So if that is something as a provider that is important to you, taking insurance does give you that. Additionally, if you work within the hospital, a hospital system like I do or another large organization, there are probably going to be people who are there to bill insurance for you, help you get credentialed, etc., which lessens the burden of having to deal with insurance. So that's not necessarily like a benefit of insurance itself, but it is a benefit if you do take insurance and work within a big system, you are not dealing with the like nitty gritty as much because we still deal with the nitty gritty of insurance. So those were the benefits. And it's actually interesting because as this podcast goes on, you'll see that the benefits actually uh, benefits of using insurance are actually like the smallest section of this podcast for both the client and the provider. So downsides of insurance. So we'll start first start with client insurance dictates the number of sessions you can have. And a lot of people don't necessarily realize this. So, um, For example, if I am submitting um, to insurance, so I do my intake session, I submit to insurance, fill out all this paperwork, basically say, this is why I need to see the client. They will come back with, okay, yeah, you get four sessions per month or you get, you know, six sessions per month or you get 24 sessions per year. So insurance dictates how many sessions you get. And I don't know how they calculate it, but... This dictation is made by insurance companies and not mental health providers. So, you know, they don't necessarily take into account like the diagnosis, the severity of the diagnosis, um, how long this person has been struggling, things like that. It's like a formula. They're like, okay, yep, you get X amount of sessions. Another downside is that they can deny mental health services if they don't feel like they are necessary. And that goes back to the insurance making these decisions and not a mental health provider. So an example that I have run into is for those of you who know me or have been listening to me, you know, I work in a children's hospital. And so, um, a lot of times, especially, um, for the kids and teens I meet on the inpatient side and then follow up with on the outpatient side, I am seeing them due to mental health related concerns regarding a medical diagnosis. So if they were just diagnosed with some type of chronic illness, I would be seeing them to help them adjust to the chronic illness and cope with it. I have been denied by insurance or my client has been denied by insurance saying that that is not a reason to seek mental health care. So somebody just child or teenager just got given this lifelong chronic diagnosis that's really scary or is going to impact their life and insurance says that mm, they don't need mental health services for that um other downsides you may have to meet a deductible before your insurance even starts covering your mental health care so you're paying out of pocket anyways for your mental health care um and depending on that deductible and how frequently you want to go and stuff obviously that's going to dictate how much insurance is actually going to cover. You have to be given a diagnosis. And this is um, one thing that I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, So when we bill insurance, we have to diagnose 
the client with something based off of the first session, which is usually an hour to an hour and a half. So after an hour to an hour and a half of talking to somebody, we have to give them a diagnosis that is going to follow them. And insurance does not cover all diagnoses. So I know a running joke in like my circle of mental health is we tend to do like an adjustment disorder, which is basically like saying like you're going through something stressful <laughs> and you're having a hard time. But sometimes insurances won't cover like adjustment disorder or symptom codes. They want like a formal diagnosis, like major depressive disorder or generalized anxiety disorder. And yes, sometimes people walk in and they meet criteria right away, but sometimes people don't meet criteria for a diagnosis because, and I'm going to emphasize this probably multiple times, but like you do not need to go to therapy because you have a mental health condition. You can go to therapy because you want to learn coping skills or you're going through a rough patch. Like, so we're, basically medicalizing a patient population based off an hour interaction, um, which I don't know a single mental health provider that likes making a diagnosis off of one interaction, but you have to be given a diagnosis, which goes to the fact that this diagnosis is on your record and can be pulled at any time. So if you do not want a mental health diagnosis in your record, or you don't feel like you meet criteria for one, or say the only criteria you meet is like adjustment disorder. And you're like, you know what? I don't want that to be on my record. Um, and I'll talk about this when I talk about private pay, private pay might be better. Um, and when I say it's on your record, so like, I don't know if you're like, I don't know, trying to adopt a kid or something, they might look at your record or going for a job or for me, and I'm going to give a personal example. So when I first moved back to South Carolina, I started seeing a therapist just because I had finished grad school. I moved back to state. I wasn't working for like six weeks until my degree conferred. And I just needed a little extra support at that time um, because I was going through a huge life transition. And um, my therapist gave me a diagnosis of adjustment disorder because I was using insurance. And... Um, Later, it was probably a couple months later, I was applying for life insurance through our insurance company. I get some through work, but we were applying for extra life insurance and I got denied because I had a mental health diagnosis of adjustment disorder. And so while my husband got life insurance, I did not, even though I literally was going to have some extra support, um, finding some coping skills, even though I'm a psychologist, we all need our help. I always say helpers need help too. Um, and I got denied life insurance simply because I have a mental health diagnosis. Um, some other downsides for the client, even if you have insurance, insurance may not necessarily cover all types of care. So I work at a hospital, we have, you know, decent insurance. Our insurance does not cover family therapy. So if you want family therapy, you're going to be paying out of pocket anyways. Um, insurance doesn't always cover higher levels of care, like intensive outpatient, residential treatment, inpatient. So even though you have insurance, you might still be paying out of pocket. Um, and even if you have insurance, insurance may not necessarily cover all diagnoses. So one I've run into is it doesn't cover, um, certain insurance won't cover therapy for autism. Um, another one I've run into is insurance won't cover therapy for any, LGBTQ plus related care. So like gender dysphoria, which in our state and in many states, 
before a individual starts hormones, gets surgery, they have to see a therapist and, you know, get basically cleared that they're mentally stable and things like that. And a lot of LGBTQ individuals, um, especially in the trans community, do want therapy to help with gender dysphoria and things like that. And then insurance won't cover it. So they're required by insurance to, you know, make these extra steps in their transition or they're required by law. And then insurance is saying, but we're not going to cover it. Um, also some downsides, potential longer waiting times. So if you really want to use your insurance, finding a provider that takes that insurance usually means you have to wait longer. I mean, excluding the fact that I will be going on maternity leave. I mean, my wait list is months long taking insurance. It also means because of the longer waiting times um, and high demand for providers that take insurance, you may not be getting as frequent of care as you would like. So if say you wanted to see somebody weekly, they might only be able to see you monthly because of the high demand. And that's not good for your mental health either. Um, the last downside for insurance that I'm at least going to talk about, I'm sure there are plenty more is insurance may dictate how many times you can change therapists, like within a year billing period. So one thing I say to all of my patients on the first session, and I know a lot of therapists say this as well, is that the best predictor of success in therapy is finding the right therapist, having a good therapeutic relationship. So if after a couple sessions, you're like, we are not jiving you need to go find a new therapist because it's not going to be helpful if you don't trust your therapist. You're not going to be honest. You're not going to make progress. But some insurance, and I have heard this from a couple different people, will only allow them to see two different therapists. So like change one time. So if you have the first therapist you go to and you know it's not a good fit, and then you try another one and know that person is also not a good fit, insurance might say, we're not paying for therapy anymore because you've already tried the two therapists, which is ridiculous because... You, you're using your insurance to get the help you need. So downsides of insurance for the provider. So providers have to get credentialed with every single different insurance company, which is a lot of time and effort. Um, I am lucky that I work in a hospital system. We have a credentialing department. It's still a lot of paperwork and it's still a lot of time, but at least I have someone semi guiding me through it. But if you're doing it on your own, it's probably longer <laughs> and more annoying. Um, and even after a credential, there's a lot of paperwork and filing. So um, I work in a hospital. I have people that bill insurance for me. I do still have to fill out like the prior authorizations and things like that. But I don't have to be talking to the insurance companies directly most of the time. Sometimes I still do. But if somebody's in private practice, they are doing that all on their own, which any time spent with paperwork or insurance takes away from direct client care. Um, payment reimbursement is low. I said, we're going to talk about money. I'm going to be honest, like, cause I've heard people say, well, don't you get paid anyways? So every state is different. Insurance company is different. Um, based on degree is different, but like, say I was in private practice and I charge $150 per hour long session. I would submit that 150 to insurance and they would say, we're going to pay you 80. And that's, it is what it is. Um, so it's not even like it's remotely close to what we're getting paid or what we would be getting paid out of pocket. Um, 
Additionally, if you work for a large system, since reimbursement is lower than out of pocket, it usually means taking on a caseload that is very large, meaning long hours and higher risk of burnout, ultimately doing a disservice for your client. So for example, if you work in community mental health, you work 40 hours a week, you might be told you have to have a caseload of 30 to 35 clients a week. So that leaves 10 to or five to 10 hours to do all your notes, talking to insurance, calling clients, doing whatever. You're not going to fit that in, in the five to 10 hours. So then you're working long hours. Usually you're seeing higher acuity, uh, clients, you're going to be tired. You're going to be burnt out. And then you're not going to be as effective as a therapist for your client, which is not good for you, but also not good for your client. Okay. So that's on insurance. So the benefits of self-pay. So for the client, confidentiality is even higher because nothing is submitted to insurance. So therapists still follow HIPAA, but everything is between you and the therapist. There's no third party payer. So they're not getting diagnoses. They're not getting any like progress notes, which are different from psychotherapy notes, um, treatment plans, etc. You do not need to be diagnosed with something at your first appointment or at all. So if you're like, you know, I want to try therapy just because I would like some coping skills or I have these goals I want to reach, things like that, and you don't want a diagnosis or you don't feel like you meet criteria for a diagnosis, self-pay would be the way to go. Um, You can change therapists as much as necessary. Like I said, there's that limiting factor with using insurance. You can try six therapists within a six-month period and it doesn't matter. You can stay in therapy as long or little as necessary because insurance is not dictating how much they're going to cover. Potentially, you could get in to see a provider quicker. So I talked about how long wait wait lists and things like that when taking insurance. So if you're willing to um, self-pay for therapy, you may be able to get in quicker. And then many providers, which I don't think people recognize this, will provide you with a bill that you can submit to insurance for reimbursement. Now, insurance won't always reimburse, but they can provide you with a bill and then you submit it to rein, um, your insurance to see if they will reimburse it, even if the provider is not in network. So it's the out-of-network benefits. For the provider, some benefits of self-pay, higher reimbursement rates, does not have extra stress of dealing with insurance, taking away from client care, um, more flexible schedule, particularly if private practice in private practice. So that goes back to kind of the high burnout. If you work for an organization, since reimbursements are lower, you have to meet more clients to make similar amounts of money. Um, and they can set their own fees. They can have sliding scale fees and do pro bono work. So pro bono, see a client for free when they're taking self-pay, they have that flexibility when taking insurance, what we get is what we get. So if this insurance company says I'm paying $60 for an hour long session, there's no wiggle room for that. So downsides of self-pay. So I lied earlier. I said, uh, insurance benefits of insurance. were going to be the smallest section downsides of self-pay for the client. This is the smallest section. It's, it may be too expensive. And we recognize that like not everybody can pay a hundred bucks, 120, $150 per session out of pocket. Um, downsides of self-pay for the provider. So since caseloads tend to be lower, which I'll talk about a little more here in a minute, if patients cancel or no-show, it is a bigger hit financially, especially for those in private practice. Um, when first building a caseload, it may be harder to get clients just because of the higher cost. 
And potentially, and I say potentially because this is generalization, the individual may not be able to see a wide range of clients if that is something that is important to you in the sense of like different socioeconomic statuses, things like that. Um, So that's insurance versus self-pay. Another aspect of money I want to talk about is no-show fees. So I've seen individuals not understand um, the purpose of no-show fees not every therapist has these and if a therapist takes medicaid or medicare by law we cannot charge a no-show fee so i can only speak to my hospital but we do not charge no-show fees period because we do take medicaid medicare so we're not going to charge for any other insurance either because that would not be treating clients the same so some reasons mental health providers may have no-show fees client accountability if a client knows that they're going to have to pay a hundred dollars whether they show up or not they're more likely to show up research also shows that if you are paying a higher fee you're more likely to show up versus just a copay um removes biases in determining what constitute an emergency so if there is a set no show fee um you just pay it so it doesn't leave it to the therapist to be like oh, well, this person, well, that was an emergency and they canceled and this person, mm, I don't know if I would consider that an emergency. No, it's a flat fee and everybody pays it. It models healthy behaviors. So part of our role as therapists, as mental health providers, is to model healthy behaviors such as boundary setting, um, limit setting, things like that. And so by having a no-show fee and sticking to it, that models healthy boundaries, healthy limits, um, following through on an agreement, etc. It also holds the therapist accountable. So what I mean by this is, you know, if I have a no-show fee, I don't, but if I had a no-show fee, I'm not going to no-show my client because if I expect them to pay when they no-show, I can't then no-show them. Payment. This is our job, and I'm going to touch on this um, in a minute or two, which at the end of the day, this is our job. We need to get paid. So especially for those in private practice, like say they have a caseload of 20 people per week and only 10 show up, that cuts their income in half based on the behaviors of someone else. Um, And we as mental health providers have bills, have families, things like that. Um, And additionally, the spot could have been given to someone else who needs it. So if you cancel 24 hours in advance, that spot may be able to be filled by somebody who wanted an appointment but couldn't get one that week. If you no-show, nobody can fill that spot. So some things I've heard people say about money and mental health. Like, so what if I no-show because I'm too depressed to get out of bed? Okay. One, call the therapist ahead of time and just explain what's going on. Some therapists will have... uh, no-show fees but not cancellation fees or things like that. Honestly, that's more reason to go to therapy. If you're feeling that bad, getting up and going to therapy, one, the action of doing so, but also going to therapy to talk about what's going on is what you need. Um, Also in the psychology realm, we have something called behavioral activation, which is an intervention for depression. And basically what it is is scheduling activities throughout the week that are naturally reinforcing and rewarding um, to enhance your engagement. So going to therapy itself is a form of intervention for depression or anxiety. If you say I'm too anxious to go to therapy, 
etc. Um, other things I've heard, no-show fees just hurt the people who can't afford to come. So I've talked about accountability and modeling. So research shows that you're more likely to show up if you have to pay for a session. Um, it also encourages people to call and cancel. Like I said at the beginning and said throughout this episode, you can always use insurance. You don't have to uh, pay out of pocket. So if you have Medicaid or Medicare, we cannot charge a no-show fee. Um, no-show fees should be disclosed at the first session and you sign a document stating that you agree. So if you are signing this document, you should be well aware of the no-show fees. Additionally, if you don't want to see a therapist who has no-show fees, that is completely in your right and you can find somebody else. Um, every therapist runs their practice different, um, especially those in private practice, but every community mental health center, hospital, large group practice runs things differently. So in addition to finding a therapist that's right for you, find a practice that's right for you. If you really don't want to worry about no-show fees because you know your schedule is hectic or things like that and you're at risk of missing appointments, then find a therapist that doesn't have them. Um, one question I get especially, or I've seen especially about this like no-show late fees is what if my therapist no-shows me or is late? So if this happens more than once, like if your therapist no-shows you more than once, you need to find a new therapist. I can't really speak to this. In all the years I've been in mental health care throughout grad school and stuff, I have canceled on one client one time due to a family emergency. So once. And I called them early in the morning. The appointment was in the afternoon. And that that's the only time. So that goes back to how I said, like having no-show fees or even just a agreement of no-show late cancellation also holds the therapist accountable because we cannot expect, at least from my perspective, we cannot expect our clients to be held to one standard and not hold that standard ourselves. Um, I would also say ask about this at the intake session and see if the therapist has a policy. So if you're meeting with a therapist for the first time and they say, you know, if you no-show for an appointment, I charge a flat fee of $50. Say, okay, what happens if you no-show? I've I, I don't have no-show fees, so I can't speak to this, but like um, talking with other providers or just seeing things out in my like groups of therapists on the internet, um, you know, some people will say, if I no-show you, you get your next session free. So, I mean, both every both people's times are precious. So that goes back to the accountability thing. Um, and the, the last thing I hear a lot is therapists won't even talk to you without getting paid. This goes to the theme of it's all about the money. So I'm going to reemphasize, this is our job. Would you expect a teacher to teach without compensation? And I could go on a whole rant about how teachers need to be compensated more, but you would not expect a teacher to teach without being compensated. You would not expect a doctor to treat your medical condition without compensation or any other person in the service industry. But this is something I see so frequent. Um, and I don't know why there's a double standard if somebody's listening and maybe has thought this. Like, I would love to talk about your insights and I would love to listen and learn. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, this is our job. We do our job not for the money. Like I said at the beginning, if you go into therapy, um, become a mental health provider for the money, you're in it for the wrong reasons and you're going to be gravely disappointed. It's not going to be fulfilling. But at the end of the day, this is our job. Um, and then many therapists, especially those in private practice, will actually do like a 15-minute phone consultation for free to see if you're a good match. So we do talk to you without getting paid 
or something that, I mean, not a lot of people would know, but like how I can bill. So I can bill for like a 30 minute session, 45 or 60 minute session. So especially when I'm in the hospital and it's not as structured, I can spend 90 minutes, two hours with a family and I'm only billing for 60 minutes because that's the highest I can bill. So technically I am talking for for free or without getting paid or really the hospital's not getting paid. Um, but I promise, and I know like people listening, I am speaking as a psychologist and I, like I said, I try to make this as unbiased as possible, but this is my job. So obviously some biases are going to go through, but I promise we are not in it for the money. We're not, you know, just thinking about how much we're getting paid. We do this because we love and care about the people we are serving. So the last thing I want people to consider, um, which is something I don't think people think about a lot, um, particularly for those in private practice, these individuals have to pay for the space they rent out, their electronic health record, the phone line, internet, now telehealth platforms because we're in a pandemic, liability, insurance, et cetera, as well as student loans. And these individuals aren't seeing 40 clients a week. Like if they're working 40 hours, they're not seeing 40 clients. I've always heard the term and it's pretty accurate. Like for every client we see, so for every like hour we spend face-to-face, we spend about an hour out of session preparing for sessions, writing notes, dealing with insurance, reminder calls, intakes, etc. So like for a full-time private practice individual, their caseload may be 20 patients a week. So I'm going to hypothetically throw out some numbers. No, this is all hypothetical. But like say a therapist charges out-of-pocket $150 per session. All 20 clients that that therapist sees that week pay that fee, even though that's unlikely because people have sliding scale fees, pro bono work, but hypothetically, 20 clients all paying $150, they all showed. That's $3,000 per week before taxes, $12,000 per month. Okay, that sounds like a lot of money, I know. One, they're not taking home all that money, clearly, with everything I just said. But say they take insurance, insurance may only reimburse $50 to $80 per session. So even if we're doing working out on the higher side of $80, that drops the income from $3,000 a week to $1,600 per week. Okay, still not that bad. But when you take into account taxes and then overhead expenses, um, everything I already talked about, therapists are not pocketing much of their payment, private pay or otherwise. And I know talking actual numbers may upset some people and people can disagree with me. However, I'm hoping as a psychologist who does take insurance and whose livelihood is not dependent on my clients showing up or not, although I technically could be like fired or my contract could not be renewed if I'm not meeting certain numbers, but we're not going to get into that. I hope that even if you disagree, this provides a better understanding, particularly for private practice. And the reason I brought up like I take insurance and I'm not in private practice is because I'm not biased in that nature when providing this information. So if you've listened to this whole episode, (laughs) thank you. I know that uh, this episode has potential to be a more controversial episode because we are talking about money and mental health care. And for whatever reason, money is always a taboo subject in our society, but I hope it helped listeners gain a new perspective or new insights. So just to summarize some takeaways, when it comes to your own mental health care, do what is best for you, insurance or not. Like I said, I prefer to use my insurance for mental health care despite all the downsides. I 
listed in this episode. I just prefer to use it. Some people don't. And if you have the finances to do private pay, that is wonderful. You do what is best for you, your family, your circumstances, given our current mental health care system. Takeaway two, there are pros and cons for both consumers and providers with regard to insurance and private pay for mental health care. Pros and cons for both people and for both. Therapists are not in it for the money, but money definitely is a factor as this is our job and livelihood. And then the fourth and final takeaway, hopefully we can all agree that our mental health care system is broken and needs significant change to make mental health care more accessible and affordable to those who need it. So thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you learned something. I would love to hear feedback on this episode in particular. Um, I'm always open to having thoughtful, insightful conversations with anybody that wants to have them. So if you are um, interested in talking more, please reach out to me um, on Instagram or wherever you follow me. And I am excited for you to join me for next week's episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.